All right. Well, hey, everybody. Good to be with you again today. I want to start off with a couple of statistics, which can be dry, but I believe will serve our point today. And I want to create a tension by sharing these two statistics. One is this, a large percentage, 82%, in fact, of millennials say that they want to be married at some point. There's also a significant percentage of millennials, low 40s, that say they want to find out who they are first, first being before they get married. So let's put those two together. 82% of millennials say they want to be married at some point. 42% say they want to find out who they are first. So there is a pretty significant gap that's created between those two. And it's pretty arbitrary of when a person determines, hey, I have or I have not not found myself. So here's my question from this. In this tension, what does a person do as they navigate between a desire to be married at some point and a desire to find himself or herself first. This is a problem that Marriageable seeks to address. And why this problem is important to address, much of the chaos that my wife and I have discipled, counseled, fill in the blank, for the past almost 20 years has stemmed from people that are in that in-between time. The choices that they made they weren't proud of, they came out of that time. The habits they picked up, they came out of that time. The selfishness and the independence that they engendered came out of that time. And perhaps most of all, the false identities that they adopted or that got further ingrained into who they are, they came out of that time between want to get married at some point, and I want to find out who I am first. It's just a perilous time because there are so many other pulls. And so the priority on doing something that would help me find out who I am first, it just goes lower and lower. And then how do you even discover how to go about doing that. And that's where marriageable comes in. Marriageable comes in as a servant tool to say, you want to find out who you are first? We agree. We agree. We say that is a noble desire, and we've put it into a process to help serve you in your pursuit. So again, marriageable is going to address all of the problems that can stem out of that gap time, all of those personal issues. It doesn't mean, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that marriageable is a silver bullet. I'm not saying that every issue or personal hang-up that someone has, that after they go through the marriageable process, that they are going to be in this state of polished perfection. That is not reality. But marriageable will address 
these different issues to the degree that the individual is willing to have them addressed. So we would like to rate your level of peace at the outset. So even as you listen to this podcast, I want you to be thank you may be driving right now on a scale of 0 to 10, where do you lay, rate your level of peace, meaning your peace with God? Obviously, that's a huge one. And if you don't have peace with God, there is good news. God has made a way for you to have peace with Him, and we'll talk about that uh, at a later time. Biblically, the concept of peace, if we go back into the Old Testament, was the word shalom. And while this included God at the core, absolutely, shalom also included harmonious relationships with others, harmonious relating with the creation, Harmony on all sides. I like how one commentator describes shalom, its life as it was intended to be. And if you believe in the goodness of God and the goodness of the original creation, that should be something massively desired. In our culture of cut and run, we oftentimes have more than one relationship that lacks peace. In fact, I'm sure that that is true for your life. And that as you rank your level of peace right now as you're listening to this, one of the things that will draw that number down is an unreconciled relationship. That does not produce peace in your life. Scripture says this, as long as it depends on you, this is out of Romans 12, live at peace with all men. Let me say that again. As long as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So if you have done everything that you know to do in your power to bring this word, this concept, this reality of shalom into all of your relationships, bringing them to a place of peace, well done. I know so few people that would be able to say with integrity, as long as it has depended on me, I am living at peace with all men. Most of the time, guys, this is not the case. It's not the case. Most of the time, because of the pain from the relational rift, whatever that was, and because of the rejection associated with that rift, we seek at all costs to avoid that person, that person's name, anything associated with that person. And the person that was a friend can quickly become enemy number one. And the deeply painful thing 
is that oftentimes this happens with those who are very close to us, right? Oftentimes we're talking about another family member, a parent, a sibling, uh, perhaps a cousin, aunt, and uncle, grandparent, because the proximity of those relationships provides the place for more relational interaction and therefore more opportunity for there to be relational breakdown. We are going to challenge that place in your life because while you were still God's enemy, he came to you with an offer of peace. Now, that doesn't mean that you have accepted that offer of peace. You may have, you may have not. But he came with an offer of peace. He paid the price to make that peace available. That price was the price of his son's very life, Jesus. And if we want to be like him, then we also must be the initiator that goes to an enemy, that goes to another person with an offer of peace. Here's the risk, and God makes this risk, takes this risk. You can't control the other person's response at all. The other person can still choose to, first of all, stonewall you, and if you communicate with them, they can choose to not communicate back, obviously. They can choose to still hold a grudge. They can still choose unforgiveness. They can still choose to be standoffish. You name it. You cannot control that, so stop trying to. You can control your response, so that is what our focus is going to be on. Now, what does this have to do with becoming a more marriageable person? The areas of your life that lack peace can develop in you some knee-jerk reactions when you are considering entering into a new relationship. And these can cause you to behave in ways that you otherwise would not behave. For example, to get back at a person also known as revenge, not a high biblical value. Or to prove yourself, also known as defending yourself. We're to let God do that because it produces self-sufficiency and defensiveness. It does not lead to healthy relating with others. Or to act like you're not really all that into another person, and then they move on and you feel sad. Or finally, it might cause you to be overly into a person and they move on because they feel suffocated. Both of those last two are boundary issues, which we will address during the marriageable process. Let me give you now the why behind marriageable. As we've talked about peace, shalom, well, that is a big why behind marriageable. We find in many relationships a lack thereof of this peace, of this Shalom. So that is one reason and a, a 
very big why behind marriageable. Healthy relationships are a why behind marriageable. And marriage is a why behind marriageable. In summary, you at peace in a healthy relationship moving towards marriage. That is the why behind marriageable. Why do this? We have a passion to see current dating culture revolutionized. We do not believe marriage is the answer for all problems, nor do we find marriage to be an elixir for all societal ills. We do see marriage, however, as one of the best ways to deal with the trauma of aloneness and as a means towards intimate partnership with a person who is different from you. So how does this happen? It happens by uh, a grace-filled process, which is premised on it's not you, it's me. Many times we see this, we have five children, and many times we see in our own children blame shifting. Hey, what happened, guys? Oh, they did this. Baron did this. Jaden did this. Campbell, no, 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 no. That's not what I asked. What did you contribute? So we have them use I statements so that we do not raise victim mentality children. So this phrase, it's not you, it's me, which is usually used by someone just to get out of a relationship and as an excuse, we take it very, very seriously because we actually believe there's a lot more truth to it. It's not you, it's me. That doesn't mean that there are not problems that another party does not bring to a situation. That's not what that means. What it does mean is I am taking ownership of me. I am being responsible for me, and I am not going to pawn off onto someone else my own issues. It's not you. It's me. So it's a process by grace, moving people from chaos to peace, from the false to the true, with the desire to see people get healthy. And one of the ways this happens is by making amends with self and with others. I have been impressed, uh, very impressed, by the response over these past years to Brene Brown's work on shame. And I hear about it from many different angles uh, within the church as well as outside the church. And I think that she and I think many would agree that her work has hit on a nerve that connects with many, many people in our culture, and coming out of shame is one 
byproduct of making amends with ourselves. And this is really key because without doing so, if you walk around with shame, with any type of shame, it militates against being healthy. And it militates against you not only being healthy as an individual, but having healthy relationships with others. And so making amends, even as I say that, I would challenge you to consider what types of amends might I need to make with myself. We've talked briefly on reconciling relationships and living at peace as far as it depends on us with others. But now if we looked, do we need to make amends with ourselves? Are there things about us or in our lives that we are not proud of? Guess what, guys? The answer is yes for all of us. And the determiner of how you move on in life in terms of your own personal development will be predicated on whether you desire to do the hard work of facing the mirror on some of those issues um, or whether you desire to sweep them under the rug. And some of that is how you were raised in terms of your family of origin. Were things faced head on or were they swept under the rug? But I'm, I'm going to believe that you're the type of person that if you historically have swept things under the rug, that you're going to get them out from under the rug. You're going to place them in the light. You're going to stare in the mirror And then through a process of grace, you're going to be transformed into a new person. So I want to emphasize this process is not a grin and bear it. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps all alone. It is a grace-filled process, meaning that there is a helper. His name is God by the Holy Spirit who is with you who is the source of transformation and lasting change. This is very good news that the gospel proclaims. So we have this issue um, of shame and getting healthy, getting out of that, looking at uh, ourself and um, as well as our unreconciled relationships with others. These Things have massive impacts on our relationships. After getting healthy, which there are many other items underneath that in the marriageable process, we move into a stage called grow up. And one item that I want to highlight about grow up is learning how to deal with instant gratification. Now, obviously, instant gratification has become embedded in our culture. Just think about it for just a moment because you've already done it today. I've already done it today. What frustration have you already had in your life today that is due to and birthed from instant gratification. Instant gratification. Um, I sat down to record this podcast and the internet was 
glitching. Oh, why is that happening? Well, there are people in the building where I am that are working on the internet. And so guess what? It just happens. But my instant gratification button says I am entitled to high-speed Wi-Fi everywhere that I go. And if it is not operating in the way that I desire it to, then I have the right to be mad. That is ultimate immaturity and childishness on my part. And you could fill in yours for the day and we'll have new ones tomorrow. But the reality is that we have become baked in a culture of instant gratification. And if we desire to become a more marriageable person, we must learn to deal with instant gratification. Because guys, for almost 20 years, I have worked with the relational fallout that instant gratification produces in relationships, in heartbreak, you name it. Instant gratification is tearing us apart as a society, and we can choose to take it on the chin for the next 50 years, or we can choose to say, yes, I have been baked in instant gratification, but I am going to believe that I can become a less instantly gratified person. We would call that delayed gratification, that I can learn delayed gratification. And as you learn delayed gratification and not having to have it your way right now, I guarantee you that you will grow up, that you will get healthy, and that people will want to be more around you because you're not demanding their attention at all times. You're not demanding that they do what you want to do, even if you make that demand out of a passive-aggressive approach, which I'll just say is, is a side note, is sin in love. Uh, Instant gratification needs to be dealt a death blow in your life and in my life. And together, I believe that we can find God faithful to teach us to be a people of delayed gratification and not needing things instantly. A sub-point under instant gratification is pornography. That's not a new topic. This has been talked about and researched, and there are so many helpful approaches and resources now available that were not available 10 years ago. And so that is something to be grateful for. Um, We advocate just uh, one of these in the marriageable process, which you can find and use as you um, as you get into the marriageable process, I'm not going to get into that right right now, but it is it is one way, not the only way, but it is one practical way 
meaning dealing with pornography, pornography addictions, or if you don't have one of those, perhaps a person that you may date in the future, marry in the future, serve in the future. Maybe that's been their background. And so the platform that we have decided to use through Marriageable also educates um, uh, a user. Therefore, you don't have to be the person that is struggling with pornography to find benefit and value from this particular platform. So want to uh, want to highlight uh, that. Another thing that want to highlight in the grow up stage is something called a rite of passage and want to describe that briefly. When we hear rite, it's like, what is that? R-I-T-E. For me, what it uh, denotes is ceremony, ceremony. And we don't live in a ceremonial society, and I would say that is uh, really uh, hurting us. There is great power in ceremony. There's a power because ceremony is uh, public. There's power because in ceremony, it suggests that you have done preparation for that ceremony. And there's power, and the one that I want to focus on, there's power in ceremony relative to it becomes a line in the sand. It becomes something you can look back to and say, that was the moment where I took a step. That was the moment where I cut ties with. That was the moment where I decided to put childish ways behind, whether it was instant gratification or anything else. And that was the moment where I made a decision to say, you know, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a woman. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have the body of a man, the body of a woman, but then the mindset and the behavior of a child, I'm actually going to publicly declare this is what I'm doing, but I'm doing it and I'm asking for you guys to help me. I'm doing it in a way that is embracing community. I'm doing it in a way that is going to be receptive of feedback and that I am very excited about the potential, the growth potential related to getting an entire generation of uninitiated persons going through very simple yet powerful rites of passage, inviting their family members, inviting their friends, significant people in their lives to the simple yet powerful ceremonies. I believe that this has a potential to greatly transform our societies because as you talk to people around our nation about some of their frustrations with politics, corporations, the leadership in their particular industry, if we drill down, if we drill down into what is actually bothering you about that particular thing that bothers you, many times the thing that bothers people is rooted in selfish decisions of uninitiated leaders. And so we have CEOs of companies that 
never had someone place identity on them. And so they are trying to reach for that. And it doesn't matter who they run over and steamroll in the process because they are an uninitiated man or woman and they're seeking and seeking and yearning and desiring this place of approval that they're never going to get on their own. The rite of passage comes in and it cuts the legs off that thing in a good way. And it places identity through mentor figures, through receiving different letters that a person can go back to again and again and remind themselves, okay, I already have the approval of people in my life. I don't have to go and seek it through approval-seeking behaviors and activities that vary in their levels of health. And so I'm I'm pretty fired up about what these rites of passage ceremonies are going to produce in different people's uh, lives. So there are your first two uh, and just a couple of highlights on portions of the marriageable process. And then the last portion on staying the course uh, I love because we get into um, covenant, we get into issues that relate to permanent relationships. We use um, empirical scientific data of what are the factors that determine long-term successful relationships. And the reason that we chose to use those data points is because there are a lot of experts in our day, right? There are a lot of relationship experts. I read them all the time. And some of the advice that I read from the PhD experts, I'm like, that will land someone in a ditch for sure. Let me give you one. Uh, When I was doing some graduate work in marriage and family, Uh, I learned a variety of different philosophical approaches to helping out married couples. The one that floored me was this one. Again, very smart people, very educated people, just lots of academic prowess and acumen put into these philosophical approaches, but I just can't disagree more with this particular one. So the issue is this. Hey, the guy and the girl, the husband and the wife, they are having marital problems, and those marital problems are stemming from uh, they're not having enough sex. Their sex life, you know what, actually, they have a sexless marriage. Okay, so they come in um, individually before they come in for uh, couples counseling, and so the um, uh, the the female comes into the office and the counselor says uh, to her, hey, I understand, you know, he's not meeting your needs in this particular way, and so you're not really wanting to meet his needs in this, um, uh, in terms of having sex with him. And so, you know what? What you need to do is you need to go out and have an affair. That is really the thing that is going to meet your needs. And that is ultimately, that is going to be the thing. Your your marriage doesn't ultimately matter. This is about you. 
And so you just go out and you you get her done. And I remember hearing that and thinking, are you are you serious? Are you that's that's the advice we're giving from a this is gonna help someone infidelity break the covenant of marriage because of our individualism that is absolutely ludicrous why am i even sharing that i'm sharing that to make a point there are a lot of expert opinions being given to singles and to married couples about what leads to relational health. And so I like using this scientific data that says, no, these these practices lead to long-term successful marriages. And guess what the scientific data corroborates with scriptural wisdom? Scriptural wisdom. One of my favorites um, is on uh, going all the way back into Genesis 2 in leaving and cleaving. Um, That's an an older phrase that you may not be familiar with, but the scripture says that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave or be joined to his wife. The two become one flesh. They were naked and they were unashamed. So that was the original intent of God for marriage before sin ever entered into the picture. And many persons will say this, that uh, our Christian counselor persons, that over 90% of Dan Allender and Intimate Allies is one of the ones that I've heard this from, that over 90% of marital issues come into a counseling office stem back to a failure to do that one very thing, that one very thing being leave father and mother. I used to read that when I started reading the Bible when I was younger, and I remember being like, I, I like my I like my parents. I don't necessarily want to leave my parents. And is that a, does that mean I'm a problem person? Does that mean I'm destined for failure? Is this doom and gloom? Well, the Hebrew suggests that leave means to forsake dependence upon, to forsake dependence upon. So play that out in terms if you're a single person and you're looking at becoming a more marriageable person, one of the things that you want to do is you want to see well where where am I where am I dependent on my mom and dad? And guess what? When you're a younger person, being dependent on mom and dad is right. <laughs> it's absolutely right. But if you maintain that dependence upon mom and dad, into early adulthood, and even you have people that are still dependent upon mom and dad when they are married, it does not permit there to be a place for a spouse to step into that place to develop a trust-building, intimate relationship because there's no room, right? There's no room. The bond, the dependent bond has been formed. It has not been Broken, And so in the marriageable process, one thing that we challenge and we uh, seek to give uh, exercises to help with is doing this very early scripture, Genesis 2, 
thing that the experts are saying, man, if we could if we could knock this thing out, if we could address this thing, if we could get people to unhook their wagon from mom and dad, they would be a lot more freed up to be able to form healthy attachments to their spouses. And so other items like that, intimacy um, ingredients, um, uh, developing vision statements, all these things we, we have together in a process that we call marriageable. And we uh, look forward to the opportunity to um, journey with you to go on this adventure uh, to become a more marriageable person and ultimately to even uh, go through a, a process of marriageable, marriageable matchmaking with someone else that has also gone through the marriageable um, process. We only um, permit someone that has uh, completed the marriageable process and has been vetted that that process has been completed. Those are the only individuals that we allow to um, be in the pool of persons in a database that uh, can, that you can connect with, um, therefore giving you more peace of mind that um, uh, another uh, guy, um, if you are a young lady or another girl, if you're a young man, that they have also at least begun thinking through and working through these all important relational health, growing up and thinking about um, the covenant nature and permanent nature that marriage was designed to be. So we are looking forward to um, going on this journey with you. We hope you will uh, jump in and we will talk to you next time on the Marriageable Podcast.